Hello, and welcome to another episode of Just Keep Writing. A podcast for writers. By writers. To keep you writing. I'm Nick. I'm Shanghai. I'm Samim. I'm Gabe. I'm LP. And I'm Will. And leading our discussion today is going back to Gabe. Following up from our episode last week. Gabe, tell us, what are we talking about today? Awesome. Um, So, this part is like literally my favorite part about writing, which is characters. Yeah, so I'm so excited to to have this conversation. Um, and this part in the book starts, I mean, I will start off this by saying that I wish it was longer in the book, about it was deeper in the book, but I think we, we can make that work. So the first part is, the title of this is Creating Generative Characters. As he said before with titles, now he's going into the names and characters in general. So the first part is names and physical traits. Before we start, could we talk? Could we just mention what was the book's name and who is it by? Just in case it's someone's first episode. Oh yeah, it's uh, the book "Refused to Be Done" by Matt Bell. What page are we on? This part is uh, in page thirty-one. Yeah. So the first part is how do you work character names and their physical traits? So. In the book, Matt, Matt makes the point about names and how like a good name can be as generative as a good title. And how like at first a name might not click for a character, but as you go through the story, as you use it more and more, it becomes something that you're used to and that you're I mean, it becomes one of the most used words in your like in your story. So the point like the main point of this is that some writers think of their naming just like as a piece of literature, of a sound that you will be using often in your writing. But also another point of about the name, about naming characters is the baggage those names have. I mean, this is, I guess this is more true in real world stories because I mean, names give you culture, give you also relationships and uh, places in society, etc. So I mean, I'll just start off this about how do you guys go about naming your characters and at which point do you name your characters, which is like the main point that Matt goes in this section. So LP, how do you go about this? I am actively running through every childhood friend and family member that I have. And I ascribe just a, a couple of tidbits from the people that I care about to the characters as far as main characters go, like I, I make up a lot of names too, but like all my main name characters, I'm probably related to them. And at which, like, at what point in your stories do you tend to name your characters? Like, when do your characters go from being named MC or quote unquote to having the name? Um, for me, it happens like after I figure out, well, first thing that usually comes from me is the concept. And then the next thing is like, what's the situation that the people are in? Like, what's the novum? Okay, now what's the situation that people are in? And then as I start to, like, figure out what the character's story, that's what I, I think, like, what the character is, what they're doing, I was like, Yanis. Ooh, that's Kenyatta. Okay. And then mm -hmm. I just kind of go from there and let what I know about these people in my actual life speak a little bit on what the character ends up being, but yeah. Mm -hmm. So, Nick, how do you do this? I feel like I might be the weird one in this scenario, but I start with characters. I don't write anything until I know my characters. So, like, I think 
understanding like kind of the general plot line and like kind of the general world building. I know my characters way more before I know any of that. Um, and that's, I don't know why. Uh, I've got to have a good name. I use names for cultural reference a lot to kind of tell, kind of help paint the story and paint the picture and things like that for me. Um, but yeah, I start with the character name. I start with, well, now he's named this or she's named that. Like, what are some characters and traits? Like, and like LP said, like I've used people in my past to kind of do this and bring people to life. The, uh, the Tuckerism is, I think is what it's called. And, uh, that's always fun too, but I, I can't start a story without knowing who it's about. I don't know, like, how can I write something unless I know how someone's moving through that world first? Mm-hmm. And what are their tendencies? What are their habits? What are their ticks? What's the positive and negatives of that person and things like that? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Shanghai, how do you name your characters? Wow, it's like you saw me before <laughs> I knew that I had something to say. Um, <laughs> I kind of similar to Nick feel like um, my characters sometimes need to be formed before I know what their names are. Um, So I have placeholder names. Like I usually will use a random thing, Um, but that's not always the case. Sometimes I know exactly what a character's name is going to be from the beginning. And then the other thing that I'm thinking about when I'm writing characters is because like I'm mostly um, writing characters from my cultural background and names have very specific significance because of like what they mean, who you're named after. Um, And it also implies what tribe you're from. If you have like a a tribal name. Um, And for me, I like to use Swahili names because they feel more neutral, but like still specific to uh, East Africa. Um, yeah, but I I did have a character in my novel. I thought this was kind of funny because it's historical fantasy and there was the husband of a queen that I'm writing about and I called him Simjui, which means I don't know him. Um, and this was kind of like my little sass salt because mm-hmm. historically we learn a lot about, like we hear the names of like men who existed, who fought revolutionary wars, but women are like left out of that history yeah. or some people. Um, and so for me, it was like, yeah, you're, I'm, I'm naming, I'm being very specific about naming the femme people. And like your name is in this moment, a little bit of an afterthought to me. <laughs> yeah. It was petty, but it was, it was what I needed. <laughs> So really, we're talking about characters, their names right away, right? Yeah. Like, when do we name them? I always just, I don't know, they just come to me. There are times, though, the name that I've started with, as the story evolves, my character likes to tell me, that's not my name. Stop calling me that bitch. Mm -hmm. And um, then I have to, like, change it. Because it's just like, okay, the energy behind this character, it's, it's not working. So... Do I, I think there's been a couple stories that I've changed the name of the character as I started uh, researching the meaning of names. So like I had a character in a short story I wrote called Soul Collector. Um, that, Which is amazing, by the way. Thank you everyone. so much. Thank you so much. Um, <laughs> that I needed to change it 
after I was doing some research in the names, because energetically, it fit into the story and it fit that character more so than the, the name I gave them. So I mm-hmm. think it's like each time it's a little bit different. There's been total times in Renegada, this um, sci-fi um, space opera heist I'm writing, um, none of the characters' names have changed because all of them ha- are like the essence of those characters and none of the none of their names are changing like that is just who they are and that's partly it's like you know i know i don't want to get too like woo woo but with that story specifically all of those characters talk to me in a certain way and like that's probably one of the few stories where i really feel like my characters are controlling the story more than me. I feel more like a vessel for them. Oddly enough, mm-hmm. I have a, a, a webcomic called Vessel. Check it out <laughs> in the show notes. Anyway. Uh, nice some, segue. Thank you. <laughs> some meme. I think the question was, how do we name our characters? Is that right? Yeah. And, and like, like at which point in your story? Um, okay. In developing the story. Yeah. Um, I think I had a tendency in the past to figure out some really deep, meaning behind a name. So I'd spent hours searching for a name that like had a lot to do with the plot um, and would have some really deep underlying meaning that only a reader who was going to go the extra mile to like analyze and uh, uncover things about the story would, would know. And then I just would never write the story. Um, so I, I now stop myself from doing that. I might come back uh, at a later stage of the story um, and sort of think back and find a name that does fit and work for that. Uh, but I think more often than not, I just cycle through things, um, drop a name in. I think I sometimes will use a name um, to, like Shingai was saying, like signify the person's sort of cultural heritage uh, or more specific things about their ethnicity. Uh, but I, I also sometimes use it to signify, I think, um, something unusual about their, like, their background that isn't what you think it would be. Um, so sort of like, Giving, giving a person sort of like a mixed first and last name that is coming from two different groups um, that's sort of signifying something about their past. Um, and and there's usually a, a backstory there. So I think there are like a lot of, I have a lot of fun um, naming and like finding naming conventions and whatnot. Um, but in, in, in the recent year, I've stopped myself from indulging in that just so I can focus on the story first. Also, shout out to Samim for finishing the first draft of his novel. Oh, thank you. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, that's so exciting. Sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt Gabe, but I wanted to be like, woo. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. Get some drinks or if we don't drink, get some coffee. If we don't drink coffee, you know, um, go celebrate whatever way that you celebrate. Take ice cream. Ice cream. I just had some mochi ice cream. So I'm covering all the bases. Yeah. Don't worry. I love it. Bring it on. I was going to say something else, but I was like, that's inappropriate. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, I'm wondering about like the differences, obviously there are differences in naming in real world and fantasy worlds. Cause I mean, one of the things that I do for fantasy naming is like pick a part in Google maps, go for a, in a place in the world, look at the naming, like the names around the place. And then like play with that to like, to get the gist of how, of the etymology of a place or things like that, and then like move it to 
not not even a similar culture in a fantasy world. Just like the energy the names are giving, because as I said before, I think I mean for me and Shingai mentioned it too. Like names give so much culture. Like there's so much that you can communicate just with a name, and even in a fantasy setting. So I mean, and also as Amim said, like I can just go spend hours just naming, just picking names, having a bag of names. Like I literally I have an Excel sheet with a list of names in with every letter, which, I mean, there's also this thing of not naming, just that technique of not naming characters with the same, starting with the same letter or having the same sounds, like to not confuse readers in, I mean, that in general, you can do whatever you want, of course, but LP? Yeah, I think that sometimes in secondary worlds, it can get get a little tricky because... Um, I remember reading uh, Gideon the Ninth and thinking about how how the naming conventions were very Latin based, and um, how um, apparently uh, the author intended to encode people of color, but never just kind of said black or mm-hmm. brown, you know, in a way that yeah. was clear, right? And like, and I and I get that in some ways that can be nebulous in that like, you know, brown person in this space could be from Mexico, this brown person from this in this space could be from Pakistan, brown person mm-hmm. in this space could be from Cambodia, right? But like, it just bothered me because once we got into this, this, this uh, sci fantasy spacefaring thing, you know, we were still using Latin derivations for numbers right and those are how we named people and so i think there's a level of like i think there's a level of uh of indigeneity that we could always kind of try to incorporate that that honestly i think kind of falls by the wayside and i think part of that has to do with like the contract of whiteness uh that like thinking that this is by default or that like these are things that we can give away or give or take in any culture, but that's not true for for when things get a little blacker or browner, right? So, like, you know, were I to see, like, a Mexican fantasy with, like, Incan or Mayan derivations, I was like, oh, that's yeah. more interesting to me than, like, you know, seeing takes on, on, on Samuel. I was like, Samuel, oh, it's Samuel with the W instead of a U. You just did something magical there. <laughs> I'm so proud yeah. of you. Yeah. Um, so... I think in secondary worlds, we, there are opportunities. I think that I, I personally think that I would go harder in secondary worlds than I necessarily would in, in primary world. Is that a thing? Primary world, whatever. Fuck it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It works. So Shanghai. Obviously LP had a lot of interesting points because everyone's hand is up right now. Um, <laughs> I think for me, I just wanted to emphasize um, the fact that naming is political, which is kind of what LP was getting at a little. And, and something that even by saying, by calling naming cultural, we're also getting at. Um, I think even just thinking about, um, Ursula K. Le Guin's Earthsea trilogy and just how intentional, um, the idea of naming is in those books. I think anyone thinking about naming in storytelling should like, touch that 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 trilogy because it's just so beautifully yep. written also because it's Ursula K. Le Guin um but also thinking about dead naming thinking about like 
what it means to choose your name, what it means um, to have a name that is like in Kikuyuch culture, you're named after your grandmother because the idea is that your grandmother's spirit lives on through you. So what does it mean to be named for someone else who has passed, who has become an ancestor? Um, there's just like so many different details and things about naming that are so important to think about, especially when you have, when you're writing diverse characters into the story. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, like what, what you said about, I mean, having the name of your grandmother, there's here in Mexico. I don't know if in many other places, It is so, so common, at least in the previous generation, of having the name of your father or your mother. And then having seven people, like my nephew is Daniel the Fourth, And definitely it's going to be a fifth and sixth. And I mean, that's, yeah, that's also a thing. <laughs> Will is just waving, but let's go with Nick. Wait your turn, Will. Wait your turn. Um, <laughs> so I want to bring to a point that LP brought up about naming conventions and how some people will give names, but they're not giving cultural references to the names. Um, and it's, it's kind of what I'm trying to get at here is intentionality. And I think that will stop. I'm going to punch you later. Um, <laughs> intentionality, right? So if you are going to have a Hispanic character, tell the audience they are Hispanic. Don't just give vague descriptions in naming conventions where people are guessing at it. Because as LP said, having someone who is a brown character could mean a plethora of different cultures. Um, and so you have to be intentional on this. And I'm in a harp on this more specifically. Like I see this more from, from white writers, uh, Because we've never had to do this before in our own writing. We can just say someone is white and someone is white. And there's also the white default. So intentionality has to go in behind this. That if you are going to have a character of color and they're coming from a very specific cultural background, you have to say it. like I'm, Or you have to give enough context and clues that there's no guessing behind it or what ifs or confusion mm -hmm. on that one. Will? Thank you so much, Nick. So LP, do you want to say something? Because your lips are moving. It, I'm, I'm practicing my Megan trainer. My, my, my lips are moving, but something. Anyway, uh, I just want to jump on to what Nick said. And it's like, I think there's a very weird, I've been watching a lot of like old TV from other places and this idea of like lack of conflict and like, hey, just be really esoteric about it. But there's actually nothing fucking wrong with saying my character, this, uh, I am of Peruvian descent. I am Kikuyu. I am from the South in America and I am black and like whether, because we can, the, I, one of my problems, <clears throat> one of my initial problems with uh, Gideon the ninth and I've been corrected is that, you know, the author tried to, to code the people, but it wasn't in, an, in a particularly explicit way. And I feel like there's resistance, particularly from white people to saying, you know, so-and-so is black period, point blank. And there's nothing, and, and Black people don't take offense with being called Black because wait for it, wait for it, that's what we are. Gay people don't get offended by being called gay unless they're closeted and that's a whole other conversation. But like, it's okay to just say it. Okay, sorry, Will, didn't mean to interrupt. I did, no, but sorry, anyway. No, it's okay. It kind of goes into, I guess, my point for, like, say, Gideon the Ninth. It's like they're, they are afraid. They're afraid 
to just flat out call someone black or um, sometimes they're afraid to call out someone who's queer because then they feel like, I honestly, I don't know what they feel like. Cause I don't have this problem. Um, I don't, I uh, also, I do. <laughs> I, I don't like, I think you, we don't live in an age when people are like, well, you don't want to hit people over the head. Yes, you do with certain things. Yes, you do. And it's not about not trusting your reader. It's about allowing a gateway to be open. Okay. Because we are still overall in reading and in storytelling here in the West coming from a white um, world of how we tell story. Right. And we're the white is tends to be the default a lot right? that people think of. The next thing is second world naming. I really don't understand what, how people code things in, like, I guess I, I read Getting the Ninth. So, like, coding people brown or any other culture that isn't white, I don't really understand the coding. Why wouldn't you just say what it is and build your own world from there? You know, um, I find that really also very strange. Um, also, I wanted to piggyback off of what Gabe said about culturally, as someone who is legally the third, named after my father and his father, I'm actually the 24th. Because, you know, when they traveled over to the States, they had to change my last name, so it didn't count. So yeah, I think in secondary worlds or like fantasy worlds, um, I feel like you can be a lot more inventive with how you have names, but also it doesn't need to be like Kavoth or Cabal or, you know, something hyphenated or like parentheses. Yes, Samin. Um, this is touching on something Gabe had said earlier um, around like uh, characters whose the first letter of their name is too similar or something like that. Um, I, I think I understand that role and where it's coming from. But at the same time, like if those are the characters' names and there's a good reason for it, I wouldn't stress about it that much, in my opinion, especially because yeah. like, I was always caught off guard by the fact that the villains in Lord of the Rings have like almost the same sounding names, um, like Saruman and Sauron. And I was like, if like, that seems pretty basic. Uh, so uh, I feel like stuff like that is stuff to worry about way later in like an editing process. Like if you're like, you know, about to be published and, and then have that conversation. Um, otherwise just have fun with it. Yeah. I mean, I, I have like an angle on this that I, I got not not yelled by Will, but a little. I I wrote a historical fantasy with in an Aztec historical fantasy, and the names are long in Nahuatl. The names are really long, like Quetzalcoatl, Popocatépetl, those Nezahualcoyotl, and I I had all those names, and I got feedback from white people, like it's oh, but the names are so complicated. You should consider put like making their short shorter so to not like scare your readers away. And I shared this feedback with my writing group and Will was like, of course the fuck you are. Like leave those names in or I will kick you. I mean that was I mean I had doubts. I mean I was like, should I? But yeah, of course, I mean I had the empowerment of Will like, no, you definitely should not. You should make them longer. <laughs> I just want to speak to that point. Last name. I want to speak to the point of what Gabe's saying. Cause I've read the story, obviously. 
um, the names were long, but they were no, you could understand the differences in each of the names. Like it wasn't hard. Okay. So for the people who said that, you know, make it shorter, basically they're idiots because if we can have long names for kingdoms and dragons and everything else that you see in the type of fantasy, then no, you don't need to shorten the names. They're going to have to learn to pronunciate it or make it up in your head for right now until you hear it on Audible. My thing is like people can can say can speak Elvish and Klingon. They can say and spell uh, Daenerys Targaryen. Shut the fuck up! Like if you if if this this is bothering you, that is fine. Let it bother you. It's not like there aren't like random made up white people names that we don't have trouble with. No one knew how to say Daenerys until fucking uh, uh, Game of Thrones came out. So go off, sis. Like sound it out every time. Say it how you think you're supposed to say it. Mm. Anecdote: When I was a child reading comic books, I would read X Men comic Back books. In the day. I'd never heard anyone say the word rogue, so I thought her name was Rogue You. But you know what? That's what happens when you're an industrious child reading before you know what the fuck the words sound like when they're spoken. So make up the way that you think it's pronounced until you hear the author fucking say it, then adjust. But like, you don't get to to, to just like decide not to, uh, I, I can't deal with this book because the names are just too hard, but you can say Daenerys, fuck off. Yeah. And you know what? I thought Rogue was actually Rouge because of like Rouge makeup. And also um, I thought Themyscira was pronounced um, Themyscira. That's, or Asgard was pronounced as like, um, not Asgard. I used to think it was Asgard. That's what I used to say all the time. So, you know, there we go. Go ahead, Nick. Asgard? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's, what, that's what I used to think. Because, you know, like they had some like meaty men on there that had like, you know, their their like their asses were like really sculpted. You know, in the comic books. And I used to just look at them and be like, ah, you know, break me off a piece of that. So, you know. And Will is still an ass man all these years later. So yeah. Nick, you got something to say? Or- <laughs> Yeah, I mean, this is a lovely conversation. Um, <laughs> the, the ass so, threw him off. <laughs> it it kind of did there. Um, I'm kind of curious on everyone's thoughts and opinions on this, going back to what Gabe was giving us feedback for name pronunciations and things like that. How do we feel about a pronunciation guide or like – a little index at the end to kind of help with the pronunciations. Like I'll say this about game of Thrones. I didn't struggle with most of the names. They're very Anglo friendly, if you will. But there's other books that I, that I do struggle with. Suey Davies book. I, I struggled with and I, but, and I really wanted to get it named down. I know I, some things I struggle with and it's weird. I know. Will you, Will's giving me this look. Um, and I just struggle with certain words because I'm afraid I'm actually pronouncing it wrong all the time. So being able to know like how I'm properly supposed to be pronouncing things does help out, especially when it's a culture I'm not familiar with. But how do we feel about pronunciation guides as like an index? You know what? Before we get to that question, can we get to Samim's ans- uh, question first? And then let's go around yes. for that one. Good, Samim. I think I can probably merge the the two thoughts here um i I think what i was going to say about the pronunciation is like i think for people who are in the center of a culture uh when they see something that they don't know how to pronounce 
I think often it it makes them feel stupid and they don't want to have to feel stupid. Whereas for a lot of us who are coming from the margins, we're okay seeing things that are complicated and unfamiliar and and just being like, well, I'm going to pronounce this as stupidly as I can in my head. And when I learn it better, that's fine, but I'm not going to let it stop me from sort of progressing and appreciating the story otherwise. Um, and so I, I think that's a lot of what, what's usually going on there. Um, in regards to like having a pronunciation guide or, or an index or something, I think like I, I personally wouldn't. Um, I could see an argument for it either way. Um, but I think it's extra work for me um, to, have to have to do that, to be honest. Um, and I will probably spell it out as like, you know, as phonetically as possible um, or as conventionally as possible. I, I tend to, if I use words that are not um, English in my stories, even names or not, I make them as Googleable as possible. So if somebody does want to know, they can do the work and it's not the, the like a ton of research for them. Um, so I, I would say, yeah, if you want to put pronunciation guides in, I don't think there's like a moral, I don't have like a moral objection to it. But I think I would have a moral objection to people demanding it, if that makes sense. Yeah. Shingai? I mean, Samim summed it up pretty perfectly. Like, I, as someone who writes um, kind of bilingual stories, um, where there's always like a smattering of Swahili in my stories and writing Englishes that aren't necessarily like European or American English. Um, that are usually East African Englishes. Um, I I think that there is an like I think that is decentering English. Like the work of doing that is decentering um, the expectation that everything will be understandable to the Anglophone um, audience. And it's also decentering that audience, which I think is really important for for writers from the margins, like Samim said. Um, yeah, and I think like if you want to add um, a glossary at the end, like that's that's a choice that you can make. Um, but again, like Samim said, it shouldn't be demanded or expected, especially from BIPOC and Global South writers well well i mean a glossary for if you maybe had a secondary world i can see that being like okay and from someone who's dyslexic sometimes seeing the pronunciation guide and speaking it out loud helps me make sure that i don't reinverse the words because sometimes the biggest problem for me is um, I always reinverse words, especially when I'm writing. But when I'm reading, I've gotten a lot better at it. But sometimes when it's um, a secondary world, that's when I tend to have a problem if it's not, if it doesn't come across rooted in a certain tradition. And I'm going to give an example. Uh, speaking of Sui, which is weird, Nikki brought him up. I was just texting with him last night. Um, his he's book, amazing, by the way. If you guys I, have yeah, a he's too, so but. great. Um, we'll we'll Sui Davies Okabala. He what? He he came to Wudenots and was like a wonderful guest oh, and instructor. He, he's so <laughs> smart and he's so like giving and he's just such a good person. Um, but um, the son of the storm. 
I didn't need a pronunciation guide for the son of the storm. Uh, his first book in the nameless trilogy, by the way, everyone. Um, and I don't, I forget if he has one or not. I'll pull it from the shelves and later on I'll say, it. but because I knew where it was rooted from, right? I knew where he was pulling that fantasy trilogy from. So I had an idea already in my head of like, oh, I'm going to like look this up as I'm reading and everything, right? I think that's really powerful. But say you're, you're really unsure of where someone or, no one should be unsure, but let's just say it's like, you know, even Brian McCallum who wrote this one book that like, I, I was like, what? I didn't understand what he was trying to say personally. And he's like this white dude from Utah, right? Nick. Um, no, like I think he is from Utah. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah no, Brian McClellan from Utah. It's probably the powder mage series, which is a revolutionary. Yeah. Because I didn't understand. Thing. I didn't understand what, what his language was based in, right? Of some of the words that he was using. So there I'm like, oh, maybe that would helpful. So for me personally, when I write in like say English and Spanish, no, I don't, I wouldn't put in a pronunciation guide because that's something you can easily Google. That's my thoughts on it. And I don't think it should have to be. I don't think anyone should have to do anything. I think all of our readers now, especially with technology can work i just like it for secondary worlds if i don't know where that system is being rooted in lp uh i'm gonna pass why not you afraid it's controversial <laughs> what have i ever been afraid of controversy i'll be running that down too yeah. you know it's just i think i think a lot of really smart things have been said i just think that like it's a conversation about mm-hmm. like when we make glossaries and uh, pronunciation guides. Uh, you know, I think we'll make some really great, um, some really great conversation about like as tools for accessibility, right? Um, and then the other side of it is like, you know, with people who are marginalized, whether that's like uh, an ability marginalization, a race or ethnicity marginalization. Um, like a maybe a sexual minority in my story, Wanderlust. When it got <laughs> when it got uh, when it got uh, critiqued, I had people. Uh, I put the word verse in V E R S, and I got people being like, "Oh, I think this is a misspelling," or "I think this is a right because they don't know the context." And it's like I can explain it, <laughs> but I don't want to. Or maybe it's not for you. Or maybe you need to go and do some of the work yourself. So I think it's a conversation about what the author is is comfortable with as far as, like, accessibility goes. Uh, like, in the case of Will, with, like, using them to, to better understand what it is that he's reading or not mix up the words or reverse them. Or in the other, other situations, like, well, if you don't know what verse means in, you know, the top-to-bottom spectrum, I'm not going to explain it to you because Google is free. So... I think it really depends on the author and who they've decided the audience is. Yeah. I'm See, I wasn't going to say anything. Bitches. I was going to say things, but basically everyone said everything. So, yeah. Uh, let's move on to the, I mean, to the next section about like creating the first pieces of your characters, which is after names, it, Matt talks about traits and like how he talks about the importance of having like a notable physical trait in a character that can ground readers very quickly. He uses the examples of Captain Ahab and Gandalf. Like with just one thing, you can picture those characters. 
but and how these things can suggest a background, a backstory, the baggage they're carrying. I mean, C- Captain Ahab, definitely. Like there, there's things that there's a story behind those. But the thing that I would like to add in this is that he only talks about the physical, the physicality of the characters. And I think a very important thing that we all can add to ground readers is also how they use that physicality, if that makes sense. Like not just the trait, but how they move around the world or a a motor tick, a nervous tick, how fast they talk, how they look at things, how they take, take space, how they smile, they walk. Like there's so, so many things to ground readers. And, uh, I mean, just throwing this to the group, and maybe we'll talk for 30 minutes about this, about how how do you create your character's physicality and how much do you like being described in stories? Because I've read stories that it's just a couple things and I don't have like a very clear image of that character. How do you guys, how much do you put in your own stories? How do you do it? And yeah, I mean, I'll just leave it there. Okay, I'll go first. Um, speaking of physicality of characters, um, by the time this comes out, Brent's novella, um, A Necessary Chaos, will be out. And I have to say, Brent does this real... And I don't. I wish I could read an excerpt of what it is, but I can't yet. Um, both his characters in it have so much swag but in such different ways. And it's the way that he is describing the way that they move, just move. And, and he does it in such a way that is, gives you such like vibes, right? That is to me, it's taught me a lot. And if you haven't read it, you need to go out and read it right away. The next thing is, interestingly enough, I had this challenge in my writing group um, to write a story where all of my characters aren't pretty. And I was like, going back through my things, I don't think I've ever described any of my characters as being overly beautiful. But my friend Billy, who's in our me and Gabe's writing group, was like, I always picture your characters to be so beautiful. I don't know if it's because I am or it's just because that's how like he's picturing it. So it's made so it's made me really think, like, how can I describe my characters with a little bit more nuance? Yeah, and I mean I would like to add for the question in general related to the conversation we had about names, like how much depending on if it's secondary world or primary world, as LP said, like how much do you ground the reader in how the characters, the characters look like how much, like to be, how intentional are you so that readers don't like, it's very clear what kind of person you are portraying. So LP. Yeah. um, So my first drafts, first and zero draft are generally like me spitting the story out and figuring out what the what it is. Uh, my second draft is usually me uh, creating physical space and also spending time uh, describing characters. But one of the things that I use is uh, um, the only other person I've heard using it. Uh, I no, I haven't forgotten their name. I just don't want to fuck it up uh, on a podcast. S. Q. E. Lu. 
where they have a Twitter thread where they describe the experience of um, essentially meditating and, and physically embodying the character so that they can move through the world as this person. And that helps them build their descriptions as well as how they interact with the world as well as the people that they interact with the world while in character. So it's kind of like an improvisation and acting. I guess it's more improvisation, uh, but using it for for prose. Um, but I, I feel like that's a later stage thing than like, oh, I've decided that so-and-so has red hair and, and freckles and like, you know, whatever. Because I think those things can, they're good to start with, but just so I, as a, as a writer can come back to this, like, Oh, what does this bitch look like? But, uh, later on I do the embodiment exercises instead. Mm. That sounds so cool. Now, Samim. Um, yeah, I was going to say something similar. I think I, um, I come to it much later usually. Uh, I, I think I'm always much more focused on, um, the sort of identifiable personality traits and, and the way that they interact with the world, um, like, like mentally and less physically. Um, and it's, it's something that I have to challenge myself with more to describe the way that, you know, things are physically and fill in the blanks. But I, I usually sort of like push through the story in internal dialogue, um, and, and dialogue, um, and then go back later on, um, to fill in the blanks of, oh yeah, this is what the world actually looks like. And this is identifiable characteristics of people. Um, so I just, I find it uh, challenging. Um, and I think I, I try to do a similar exercise to what LP was mentioning, like really trying to like sit down and embody the character and imagine how they are flowing through the world and, and what they must see when they like look in the mirror and at other people and whatnot. Yeah. So Shingai. Um, I think such good points have been made. Um, I think one of the things that I've been thinking about is like um, bodies. There's bodies are also political. Sorry for always bringing it back to this, but like, <laughs> um, like genuinely, even in my novel, um, I was thinking about disability, for example, and like. And one of the one of the stories or books that I really appreciate how it was done um, was Bitter by Akweke Medzi. Um, just because there is a moment where a disabled character has the opportunity to heal and they choose not to. And like that, like I, I can't do the, the the part justice, but it's like it's this emphasis on like I am a whole human being as I am. Um, and I think that that's so deeply important. Um, however, your character looks because of the way certain bo- bodies in real life have been validated more than other bodies. Um, and this applies also to like, you know, fat versus thin bodies and like white versus black bodies and like all, all these different ways that our bodies move through the world and how, um, and how the way that they are perceived is tied to our value, quote unquote. Um, and how do you subvert those things in in the descriptions of the characters that you are writing is something that I think about a lot. Yeah, I mean, I I think this is a, a good segue to the to the next part in in this conversation about creating characters and. I mean, the way that Matt goes about this is like in the mechanics of it to figure out your character is this adage of 
just write a scene of their day-to-day, how they go to work, how they go to school, how they interact with their friends. Even if those scenes don't end up in your story, like it's, he talks about how that's a good way to flesh them out, to figure them out. And I think this is a really good point that I've heard uh, Fonda Lee say on several occasions of how creating a character in isolation like really doesn't work. You need the context of the character. And that context can be, I mean, their own, uh, Shingai was talking about, like their own physicality, how that physicality relates to their context. Because depending on where you are, how the state of your body, of your mind, will make you move through the world in a different way. So the the in this part is like, how do you guys, like how much do you work the world out, the context out, before fleshing out your characters, or are those things like intertwined in your stories? Because, I mean, we, you have the three legs of story. It's world, character, and and the the plot. But I, I honestly think that the thing, I mean, this is my my own perception that character and, and world and like the setting and context are the things that if you work them together are the ones that are going to make it easier for you to create a good deep character and LP. Yeah. I mean, so this is going to sound a little wild, but I come to, I, I feel like I come to character last, uh, not because um, I don't think character is valuable, but like I said before, the Novum is what I, do you know what I mean when I say Novum? Um, it's the speculative conceit, right? It's the, the little bit of speculative. When we went to ICFA, uh, Isaiah Lavender III described the Novum as like the speculative thing in the story. And then the way, because it, it was that particular thing was Afrofuturism. So the Novum is what the world uh, uh, interacts with. And then the second part was like how Black people interact with the Novum in this world, right? So whatever the speculative con- conceit is, I, I kind of like extrapolate that as far as I can. Then I start thinking about like, okay, what does that look like interacting with the person who would be the most interesting person to interact with it? And then I start to come up with the character. But I usually discover the character during the drafting process and then mm-hmm. refine the character by the second draft and then things start to make sense. But yeah. like, uh, for me, characters are products of the world versus being like the first thing that I I dream up. Does that make sense? I mean, that makes sense as we all are. Like we literally are all products of our context. Like that's, I mean, that's how the world works basically. So thank you for affirming me. <laughs> You're very welcome. Samim. Um, I think I come to plot last. Um, I think world is definitely first. I sort of like, I definitely am in the line there that like you can't really have the character without the world because we are products of it unfortunately for better or for worse um but uh i don't think i can have a plot until i understand where where the characters are and what they what they're trying to do how they're trying to survive what their struggles are um and then it sort of comes together but that said i think like once i, I feel like this world and plot or sorry this world and character but then once the plot comes in, they sort of like swirl all together and start pushing back on each other. Um, and so there's definitely like a lot of interaction back and forth between the three that yeah. evolve each other as things go on. Yeah. Well, um, everything is character and plot are intertwined for me. The world, I find out about it through the characters and this thing of, 
it's interesting to me when people are like, I need to know the history of the world or I need to build up the world first. I have never found that to be true for myself because I think history and knowledge of the world is ever expanding, specifically the way that even the United States views history of what they think it is and what it actually was, especially in these discussions of critical race theory, indigenous people. You know, when we hear the words that Columbus discovered America, he didn't discover it. He just landed on it. It was already discovered by the people who lived here. So that's why I try to go about my world building through the eyes of the characters and through the plot that's being delivered in the book. So I don't ever think of the world unless it's through my character's eyes. I don't need to figure that out. The characters are going to inform me and there's going to be conflicting versions of the world by those different characters. Yeah. I mean, it's like this story or whatever that that's called of uh, blind people looking at it, looking quote at an elephant and how one is touching the leg and how do you, what is this? And one is like, oh, this is like a tree. And the other one is touching the trunk and they're like, oh, it's like a snake. And the other one is touching another part. So, I mean, yeah, definitely the, I think, I mean, the way, and Matt talks about this, like the, the best way to do double duty with your characters is to show the world through their lens because they're, you're showing character there and you're showing a piece of your world. But I, I think I disagree with Will a bit in the sense that I, well, not disagree. It's just different methods that I need to have like a superficial understanding of the world, at least to be able to see how much that colors my characters. And then it feeds off. Like it becomes like a virtuous cycle of, because if you really, I'm thinking a ton, I've mentioned it so many times about Greenbone Saga. Uh, the One of the main characters, Hilo, you know what the hell he's going to do. Every single time, not only because we understand his character so well, but we understand the context. We understand the system. And we're like, okay, he's placed in this situation. He's going to do this. But because we understand the setting, we understand the world. But I mean, this is obviously not a thing for a, you can figure out in your first draft wholly. So, so yeah. Yeah, but let's think of it this way too. Let's give something like, let's think of Star Wars for a minute. Luke just wanted to get off a of Tatooine and like live his life. Leia wanted to change the world and had a more nuanced look at the way things are. Don't you uh Star Wars me? It's just I'm using it as a grounding technique, LP. Um Leia had a much more nuanced look of like there is gonna be no finding ourselves in the universe if we don't destroy it and we don't make changes from this horrible empire, you know, Luke didn't necessarily feel like the empire was evil to a certain extent in the beginning of star Wars. So that's where I'm saying that my characters are coloring how I um, view the, the world. So I don't think we're disagreeing. I think we just have different methods about how, yeah, the how we go about the world initially. Mm -hmm. Nick, all right, I got a fun exercise for you guys. This will. This, I feel like this is gonna kind of tell us a little bit of different about how we approach things, right? 
when you go to travel to a new place, do you do research before you get there or you get there and just explore it? And I feel like that is the difference in what a lot of us are, are saying right now, right? Are we are we going to take our character and just go explore the world? Or are we going to go ahead and get a foundation in the world and where we're going and what we're going to do first before we even get there? I feel like that's kind of like the two conversations that are happening right now is are we researchers or explorers right now? And it's really fun because I'm an explorer. Um, as I said earlier in, the, in this show, like I have to be with my character and I have to go do things and I have to, I have to learn how to see it from their point of view. And not just mine, so I'm not bleeding myself too far into the page, right? Because we want to write characters that are distinct from ourselves and different points of views and lenses. Oof, that's such a good exercise. Shingai, tell us. I'm going to pass it to Salim. <laughs> I'll be quick. My answer is both. And I think it depends on, like like in real life, it depends on where I'm going. Um, and I think it's the same in the story. Um, it, and it can be... For different parts of the story, it can be like, I'm going to plan and know exactly where this is happening and how beforehand. And other parts, it's going to be like, I'm going to fill this character in and let them wander around or let them have this conversation with this person and see where it goes so I can learn through the character, like Bill was saying. Um, so I think both are really useful tools. Uh, and it just depends on the situation or, or your mood, to be honest. Like, whatever is going to get you to write that day can also be part of it. Yeah. I mean, I'm thinking that this could also be like a literal thing you make your characters do. Like, how would they comport themselves traveling? Because, I mean, when you travel, like, the more different the place is from where you live, like, the more, I, I believe, your personality shows. Like, your strengths and weaknesses, like, show when you're traveling far. Like, how you treat people, uh, servers, how you ask for directions, how do you solve problems. Like, I've now I'm just itching to have my characters travel to a to a very different city or a different place to see how they behave. Oh, there's so much about character, so much that we didn't touch on that I had in my notes. Um, I mean, one one of the things, honestly, I had I had this like an ending note of how, like, at least for me, the more I know my characters, the more I work on my characters the easier the rest of my process is because I I can figure out the easiest where the conflict is, how can I show the world, the relationships, like all those things. And I think, honestly, again, the more you work on your characters, the easier it is to write the rest of the things. But also I would like encourage people to create such good characters that you give an easier time for fanfic writers to use your world because, I mean, the better your character is, the more people are going to want to write them out, to use them for their own fan fiction. And I think that is, I mean, it is one of the highest... Um, oh, damn it, I, I lost the phrase. Um, the highest form phrase, of flattery. Yeah, the highest form of flattery. And just make it easy for fanfic writers. Work on your characters. Put the work in. Put the, as we say in Mexico, put those, those as hours in your characters. And the rest of the things will be easier. At least that's my, I mean, that's my advice. That's such good advice. Um, yeah. Write characters that other people want to build off of. <laughs> With permission. 
With permission. <laughs> yeah. And this has been Just Keep Writing, a podcast for writers, by writers, to keep you writing. You can find us at justkeepwriting.org. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Feel free to reach out to any of us on our social medias, and please jump in our Just Keep Writing Discord channel. Links to all of that is in the show notes. Lastly, please support our show by going to patreon.com slash justkeepwriting. We offer daily writing prompts, early access to podcast episodes, and much more. Thanks for listening, and just keep writing. (laughs) 